Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, if anyone thinks she is something, when she is nothing, they deceive themselves. But let each one test their own work, and then the reason to boast will be in themselves alone and not in their neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore. I don't know if I have met 10 people in my whole life that I feel like live this verse on a consistent basis. This passage raises all sorts of questions for me. Who do I approach and what, what transgressions are on the table and which ones are off the table and, and how do you even do such a thing if God is calling us to restore? God knows we live in a canceling culture, not a restoring culture, and I'm just kind of interested in what Jesus has to say about cancel culture and what to do about it. So let's pray. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Slap someone high five. Say restore. I was reading about an area in Sri Lanka, a beautiful nation, where there's this complex rock formation and a palace that's built, built in there. And several years ago, some vandals made their way in where there were some frescoes and there were these beautiful works of art that are painted and have been there for a very, very, very long time. But the vandals came in and did what they do. They were destroying and they were defacing, and they were defiling. And of course, if you take this beautiful work of art that someone has done in its, in its original grandeur and beauty and splendor, it, it gets ruined when someone just throws some paint on there, and as much as you would like to do something about it, you can't exactly just take some, some soap and water because in the process of trying to get rid of the vandalism, you, you can also destroy the actual work of art itself. Which is the challenge, I think, in some ways for some of what we call the work of restoration. It's how do you restore in a way that you're not destroying the good that's there while you're getting rid of the bad that you want gone? And it's a real challenge. So they had to call in some experts because the experts are better than others at being able to take off the bad without ruining the original. To, to remove the vandalism without re removing the original piece of, piece of art, the original masterpiece itself. And I, I think that's where we are finding ourselves even right now because I think we know that the world that we're in is, it's vandalized and defiled and, and messed up in ways that it was never meant to be like this. And yet, for all of the efforts that we have, among those, I would argue, the, the culture of, of canceling, the culture of destroying, the culture of... Of, of merely calling out is, is maybe not giving us the results that we thought that it would. And, and what we find is that when we try to go and restore in the wrong ways, it doesn't work if restoration was ever the intention in the first place. 
And so the experts were brought into Sri Lanka. They brought these in, and it did not happen overnight, and it did not happen quickly, but it did happen. And fortunately, this site that tourists from around the world have gone for a very long time were able to go back again because the experts were able to do what common folk are not. And they restored the frescoes. They restored the art to its original place. And by the way, that's what restoration is. Restoration is when something is is given back to the original owners or when something is, is brought back to its original intended condition. We humans were made in the image of God and we were made with a certain intention from God that there was a beauty and a splendor and a masterpiece kind of thing, a la Ephesians chapter 2. We are his workmanship that we were made in his beautiful splendor splendid image, and yet that image has clearly been defiled. And my burden today as I bring this message is I'm, I'm talking to people that have been defiled. I'm, I'm speaking to some of you that are watching online, and you're holding secrets that no one knows about except you, and it's rotting your soul. I'm speaking to some of us that, that have held on to darkness or transgression or, or sin or iniquity, and maybe you even tried to get out of it on your own and you have not been able to. And I feel like I'm just supposed to make a case today and make a proclamation today that there are some of you that today, before the hour is up, are going to be set free from your sins. That there are some of you that maybe have given up hope that, that freedom is possible and I've just been praying that the spirit of the living God would be on me to announce good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind and and the binding up of the brokenhearted and and the the healing of the things where there's been trauma and wounds and that there would be mercy and grace and forgiveness where there has been a spoiling because although I am not the expert and you are not the expert, we are joined to the one if you belong to Jesus that when he was in the womb and an angel comes to his mother and his stepfather and says, you shall call him Jesus because he will deliver them from their sins. And there's some of you that maybe are lingering with a sense, a a nagging sense of guilt or condemnation or shame. And today I just want to say freedom. In the name of Jesus, freedom. Freedom. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, freedom. Not because I can say it convincingly, but because he died it convincingly. And he was buried convincingly. And he rose convincingly. And in the name of Jesus, upon which a cross was used as an execution stake, I want to announce a power that some of us have forgotten, especially some of you that belong to Jesus and you had enough faith to get in the kingdom but you don't have enough faith to keep moving in the kingdom because you've listened to the voices of shame and condemnation. And today I say it's done in Jesus' name. The challenge is we've, this is really maybe the first thought of the day, we've become experts in cancellation and shame but we've grown ignorant of restoration. We are experts in canceling. When I talk to people about reaching out for help, talk to one guy, I said, hey, why don't you go to church? He says, are you kidding me? Church people? 
I said, why don't you go get some help? He said, are you kidding me? Have you seen all the moral failures? This is what he said. Why are you so surprised that so many people are hiding when we live in an absolute cancel culture? We love amazing grace, how sweet the sound in the past tense, but we reject amazing grace, how sweet the sound in the present tense. Hey, church, I'm just going to say it. Until we stop singing and talking smack about amazing grace, how sweet the sound, only in the past tense, and bring it up to the present tense, we're not going to have power for our future tense. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a hypocrite like me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a self-righteous one like you. Has there ever been a more self-righteous moment in history than now? What is social media but a church gathering of the self-righteous? At least oftentimes. And it's killing us in ways we do not realize. It's pushing our children away. It's ruining our marriages. It's keeping us groveling in our sin when we have a king that sets prisoners free. It's leaving us in places like Israelites of old that say, take me back to Egypt because at least I had some herbs and spices when he's got a promised land that's ready and we've settled for so much less because we've wallowed in our shame when we've got a king who amazes us with grace if we've got ears to hear again. What is cancel culture anyway? Because I, I would argue this this fear of the mob, this awareness of all the onlookers around me has distracted us from the God who is watching over us, who is named Emmanuel. And we're way more, far more aware of the mobs around us with rocks to throw at us than the God who stands in between us and our accusers. And today I want to draw your attention to the king of glory who shuts the mouth of the accuser, who stops the, the condemners in their tracks and makes them drop their rocks and prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies, if you've got ears to just believe again. Cancel culture, according to Wikipedia, is the cultural phenomenon where someone who has been deemed to have acted or spoken in a manner that is deemed unacceptable are ostracized, boycotted, and shunned in the name of some form of righteousness or justice is how this is done. If we shame them enough, we believe we're getting righteousness and justice as if shame could ever produce such realities. And yet I'm here to announce today that the tools of hell do not produce the fruit of heaven. You cannot produce fruit that is only birthed by grace with tools that are only fueled by shame. Can I get an amen? amen. So church, today I'm going to ask you to drop your rocks. Today I'm going to ask you and us to, to swallow our self-righteousness and to leave this way and to, to say, Jesus, we again want to be like you. And this is really the whole sermon today in a nutshell. When the people of God become people of grace again the miracle of restoration will not be, be so rare. It will become our normal. When the people of God become people of grace, the miracle of restoration will become our normal. And, and I think this passage right here is actually, 
more genius than we realize. It's loaded with how to do this. I, I dare say, I, I, I'd be willing to bet, I would bet a lot of money on the fact that 98% of you in this room have never done restoration on a sinning brother or sister. And today I'm hoping that you're gonna say, you know what, dang it, I'm doing it. Or maybe you have better language than that. You say, oh, bless the Lord, I'm doing it. Because you wouldn't cuss. Brothers, he says, brothers and sisters, verse one, let's kind of take a look at this. He's talking to believers. He's talking to believers. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, this is a third class conditional sentence in Greek. That means there's a very high probability this is going to happen. That's what that means. Like, this is not one of those maybe it will, maybe it will. This is a very high probability. This is the book of Galatians being written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia. Now, it's interesting because Paul writes multiple letters. He writes a letter to the Philippians. Here's how all of his letters start. I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. There's my authority. Then he does like a very pleasant, natural letter writing technique. Grace and mercy. He's like, kind of like when we're like, yo, what's up? You know, what's, what's up? We've got our, we got our grace and mercy. He's got his grace and mercy. And then he almost always has a next line, which goes like this. Man, every time we think of you, we thank God for you. You'd think it was a, really a special thing, but it's in Thessalonians, it's in Philippians, it's even in 1 Corinthians. I mean, it's, it's in you know, Ephesians. It's in, I mean, literally, everywhere you look, he's like, oh, we, every time we think about you, we thank God for you. That's what he says in every letter, except this one. After he gets through his nice little pleasantries, let me, let me just kind of read it to you how he begins his opening of Galatians. Verse six, he says, I'm astonished. <laughs> Usually it's like, I'm so thankful. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ in returning to a different gospel. I am burdened that we have been more discipled by the cancel culture around us, which has bewitched us into a different gospel inside, around, all in the midst of us, and if Paul were writing to many of us now, I think, he'd be, I think he wouldn't be saying, man, every time I think of you Americans, I just think, I think he'd be saying, I am astonished how quickly you've turned from grace. Don't get me wrong. We believe in grace in the past tense, but we seem to know so little of grace in the present tense. And in case you forgot, I kind of need it in the present. Can I get a big amen on that one? There is someone in this room, it's a third class, you know, like this is absolutely third class conditional sentence. Someone this week is going to need some grace. And when you do, I just want you to know, we want to announce a culture of restoration where our culture has cursed us into cancellation. No more shame, church. Shame off you. Condemnation off you. Shame off you. Does someone receive that? If I see another Facebook post that's like begging for people to write comments that say shame on them, shame on her. Sh Friends, the gospel is not shame on. It's shame off. I'm astonished how quickly many of us fall into the trap of, it's a form of justice that denies the power thereof. It's a, it's a form of righteousness that denies the power thereof. I want to call us back to the gospel of a king who took the shame upon himself on our behalf. He says, if anyone, if, if anyone 
just one chapter earlier, he, he uses words in chapter five, like, because this church, they, they were biting each other, devouring each other, destroying each other, provoking each other, envying each other. There was a sin problem in this. Let's just get super clear. The church of the Galatians, was full, they were full of hypocrites. But Paul doesn't go on social media and say, you know what I'm going to do? All you Christians that are hypocrites, I'm canceling you. Church, if you've got enough insight to see the hypocrisy in the church, but you don't have enough chutzpah inside to restore the hypocrisy in the church, then you are part of the hypocrisy that's in the church. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to point out sin. And by the way, if you're from some other religion, let me just go ahead and let you know, man, I'm like a professional Christian. Like, I, I kind of get paid to be a Christian, I guess, is how that works. I didn't start out like this. I'm just saying someone told me that. They said, you're like a, per so like, I, I guess I represent, I just want to be super clear. Maybe you're an atheist that's watching right now, or maybe you're an agnostic that's here, you're maybe from some other religion. I want to just let you know, I have met some atheists that are way nicer than a lot of Christians I've met. Yeah. <laughs> and I need you to understand, we, we Christians are a hot mess. Just go on Christian social media for about five minutes and you'll vomit, okay? That, that's about what's gonna happen, all right? But Jesus, when he gets a hold of us, he restores us to something new. What you're watching right now, maybe you're from some of these other religions, what you're watching right now are some of our frescoes that have been defiled and defaced and there's been all sorts of vandalism. But if we could, church, if, if we could, fig, and I'm about, to, I'm about to write down, like, how do you even restore? If we could figure this out, I'm telling you, we could become the experts that will do what no one else is doing because the shaming is not working, the condemning is not working, the exposing is not working, the calling out is not working, the putting out their address on social media and saying, let's go show them, it's clearly not working. But I'll tell you what does work. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. So how, so how do we restore? N number one, he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual. Okay, how do you restore? Number one, I'm just going to say it like this. Get in the spirit. Get in the spirit. <laughs> this is where it starts. Like, how do you actually, if, if someone here today is like, you know what, I think I want to actually obey the Bible. Well, how would I do it? Number one, you got to get in the spirit. If you're angry, you're usually not in the spirit. It's righteous indignation. Usually not. Let's just get super honest here for a minute. I'm, I'm flaming right now. Then you got to stop. Then, then, you're not even, then you're disqualified. You're not even the one. You're not the one. Just go ahead and back down. Sit back down. But I am so raging. Exactly. Sit down. You're the problem. You will, be, you will only make it worse. You're going to go in there and try to fix the fresco. You're going to ruin the fresco even more. That's what you're going to go do. So number one, he says, you who are, are spiritual. Now, by the way, this word spiritual, it's not like we use the word spiritual now. Like we use the word spiritual now and you'll meet someone like, yo, man, like, like I don't really go to church. Man, man, I'm not religious, but yo, like, I'm spiritual. <laughs> like, man, I'm not, into, I'm not into rules, but man, I'm a... I just, I flow. I get it, man. I love your flow. I do. I love when I meet flowing, flowy. I love it. Now, I, I promise you I do. I'm like, oh, man, I love that. I mean, I was, I was eating lunch this week with a, another pastor here in town, and we were at Fresh Kitchen, and we see this guy. He comes up. He said, whoa, what do you guys do? And I, I tried to beat him so I, to the point. I'm like, no, don't, don't say anything. I said, I'm like a, I'm a guru that helps people open their third eye. He's like, 
right on. I said, that's what I do, man. That's just what I do. I mean, that is what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to help you open your third eye. And we get in this conversation. I'm like, I'm really into Jesus. And he's like, yeah. Right before that, he said, F yeah. But then he said, yeah. And so it was, it was like, a, so what he means by spirit, though, the word spirit in Greek is the word pneuma. And it just means like breath. It's where we get the word pneuma. We get the word breath or we get the wind. And the Greek word is pneumatikoi. It's like meaning the people of the spirit. He says, you who are people characterized by the spirit. Well, how do you know if you're characterized by the spirit? Well, we know because the context is right before this, like literally just a few verses before in Galatians 5, he says, the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And then there's this one that he's about to bring out again because there's one fruit in particular that most matters in restoration and it's gentleness and self-control. You know it's the spirit when you're, pay, when you're like, something must be done and it must be done right this second. Now don't get me wrong, I mean, there are times when it's like... A, it, enough injustice, a time, enough is enough. It's time to call for action. There's absolutely that time. I'm talking about in your life and my life when I'm often looking, if I'm really looking for restoration, when I must have it now and it must be unkind and it must be raging mad, that's probably not what he's saying where he says get in the spirit. If your joy levels are low, you're not ready. If your patience levels are low, you're not ready. If your kindness levels are low, you're not ready. That's number one. Number two, how, how do you do it? Number two, he's, he says, you got to flow in gentleness. If, you, if you're going to restore, there's one fruit more than any other. Here's the thing about sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. What people don't realize is that when they're living in sin, they are committing, they're on the, they're, they're on the ledge, on the verge of committing spiritual suicide. Like that's what they're doing. Okay, they're like this. You know what you don't do when you're trying to talk someone off a ledge? Don't do it! You don't, you don't, you don't shout. <laughs> imagine someone, like imagine a cop comes up and the fireman comes up and they're right on the ledge and the guy comes up and he's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to scare him. <laughs> you know what doesn't work in restoration? Frightening people. More than any other fruit. If you're trying to talk someone down, and here's the catch, sin is evil, unrighteousness is evil, but here's the, here's the thing about humans that we have to understand. I can't repent very easily if you're scaring me. What is fascinating about Jesus to me is Jesus pays the price before I even put my faith in him to come, to, only when I realize I'm fully safe and accepted, do I actually have the guts to draw near to him? Because as long as I'm wondering what the outcome is, and right now, can we just be honest? We have no clue what the outcome, well, we know what the outcome is on social media. It's, it's annihilation. It's, 
It's in the, public, in the mob of public opinion, we, we already know, which is if you get caught, you are dead meat, which is why everyone's hiding. And there's some of you even right now that are hiding and you're running. It's why I have to go overboard to even talk to our staff and say, staff, you're on staff at a church. If, if you blow it, if you, if you mess up, if there's something that happens, I want you to know, we're going to restore you. Like, come and tell me the truth because we will restore you. Now, by the way, don't fear. This does not mean we don't deal with sin. This does not mean you take a child molester and you put them back in a position where they could go. That does not mean you take an abuser. Restoring is not enabling abusers. Restoring is not the absence of consequences. Restoring is not taking people that will not even acknowledge what they've done and, and letting them. That is not what restoration is. But what restoration is, is it's a very real place where something other than just the self-righteous that have learned to hide their acceptable cultural sins better than others get to fly under the radar when the people that are unfortunate enough to get caught, it's kind of like, well, everybody speeds, but some of us have a fuzz buster to tell us when the cops are watching. So he says, you got to flow in, in, in gentleness. This week, the, the, the biggest sensation on, on social media this week was, and I'm just calculating the cost of what I'm about to say, if this is, so I'll, I'll, I'll say it. Number one video this week anywhere was a woman that did a, a thing, who the F did I marry? W, I'll, let me, how can I clean it up? Um, who the heck did, who in the world, thank you, who in the world did I marry? Thank you. And she's got these, I mean, there's all, okay, a bunch of you just picked up your phone. Put it down. Put your phone down. <laughs> put, put the phones down. Online. Put your phone. I'm watching. Put your phone down. All right? <laughs> and, and the idea was, who in the world did I marry? And she's got, people are like, it's better than Lord of the Rings. Eight hours of TikTok clips of this woman calling out her bum of an ex-husband. She married this guy. They, he was a scam artist. They got divorced. And so she is, she calls him out. Like she, ex, people are like, expose him. You mess with the wrong woman now. And, and, and so what we've got, what we've done is we've, we've got this world where it's, it's not just that people are, it's like, sh, he, hallelujah, he's getting what he deserves. And we love to give them what they deserve because that's law. And Paul says, I'm astonished how quickly you turned from celebrating amazing grace, how sweet the sound, to being entertained by give them what they deserve. And not only that, we actually monetize this. So like I'm, I'm watching like Christian YouTubers, and I would check some of these guys out, and they would, they'd have YouTube clips where they're like doing little teachings of the Bible and stuff. They'd have like 10 people watch it, 30 people, 50 people. But then they started getting into what you might call failure porn. They started like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, when we see failure, man, we're going to go expose this stuff. And now they don't just get 20, 30, or 50 views. Now they'll get like 5,000 and 10,000 and 50,000. And some of the guys, I clicked on their thing, and, and, I, and I'll be honest, man, I'm, I'm a sucker too. You're sort of curious. They have these little taglines. They know how to work the algorithms and get you to click on the thing. Like, man, do you want to see some more failure porn, you know? And so you're going you're gonna to click on that. Yeah, man, I need to, I need to find this stuff out because after all, Ephesians says, expose that which is evil. And that's a truth, by the way. I don't think exposing that which is evil is the same, though, as setting up a website 
where you have a channel where you expose and expose and expose, and two minutes in before you give the salacious details of the failure, you say, oh, by the way, if you'd like to support our ministry, go ahead and make a donation so you, we can provide more of this content. So the same influencers that used to influence 50 people at a time can now influence 50,000, and now they've monetized it, making profits. Some people, why am I going to do my day job when I could do this? Because, oh, and God knows there's enough failure to go around, and you can dig this stuff out. And all I got to say is, he says, you got to flow in gentleness. Like when you're watching this thing, you're like, whoa. See, gentleness doesn't tend to get a lot of clicks. Gentleness doesn't tend to go viral. Gentleness kind of flies under the radar. And he says, though, if you actually want to restore people, though, you got to, number one, you got to get in the spirit. Number two, you got to flow in gentleness. Number three, he says, you who are spiritual, you're going to have to, and I'm going to be clear here, you have to name, you have to name the sin. He says, if someone's overtaken in any transgression. Now, what is, and this is the, this is the, the challenge, what is sin? Well, we know what sin is culturally. Sin is that which is deemed inappropriate. That's what, you get canceled online not for breaking God's law. You get canceled online for breaking cultural law. So for example, right now, if I were to get up and tell a sexist joke, let's say I got up right now, I had no emotional intelligence, and I told a joke about women. And you had some men that would laugh, some of them, they would not be laughing. Some of them might be chuckling, and I'd have a lot of women looking at me, and they would say, that's not funny. To which I might say, oh, come on, sis. You got to admit, man, that was good. To which you'd say, maybe that's good to you, but the only reason that's good to you is because something's wrong inside of you. Isn't that what you would say? If I told some racist joke right now, there might be some of you that be trying to hold back, like, oh, wait, oh, I guess I'm, I need to be cultural, I need to be uh, politically correct. But someone would say, wait, what's wrong with you where something in you thinks that's funny? To which God would say to us, I see the videos that go viral that even many of you guys watch when someone that was made in the image of God gets caught in their failure and in the name of curiosity, if not entertainment, you gather around screens and phones and chuckle while someone gets canceled. And God says, what is it about you that finds that entertaining? Because from heaven's perspective, that's not funny. Why are we entertained by things that Jesus paid for on the cross? What's, what's happened inside? See, see, this is where the, the naming of the sin is, is so important. See, this is where I think the cancel culture is, like take a word like narcissism, okay? Like that. Like, I, I will watch people get canceled online for narcissism. I get that. Narcissism is real, okay? It is. But what is the sin of narcissism? Because the Bible says we are supposed to go preach repentance and forgiveness of sins, if you're actually going to restore someone, it's not enough to say, bro, you're a narcissist. And Because here's what happens online. This is what cancel culture does. Hashtag narcissist. Hashtag get better. Do better. How do you do better from your narcissism or sexism or racism or classism or nationalism? Tell me what the sin is. I had a, 
I had a white lady recently just, you know, in, in service. I mean, she was visiting from another city, which is why I'll tell the story. But, and she just told me, she said, Pastor Mike, I hate my skin. I hate my skin. My whiteness itself is sin. I hate it. I wish I could be something else. I don't want to have children because I don't want to have more of this come into the world. I was like, sis, whatever you're trying to do right now, you are missing it. Your shame over your white skin, there is, there is no African-American brother or sister in our church that wants you feeling like this. Can I get an amen on that, by the way? There is no, that shame is going to do nothing for you. I said, how do you, how do you repent of your whiteness? Name the sin. Now, don't get me wrong. Now, if, you're pre, if, if there's hatred, if you're preferring yourself, if you are prejudging other people, if you're preferring your own class or your own whatever over, now you've got a sin you can repent of. I don't know how to get someone. I'm really not sure if someone says, bro, you're a narcissist. Go deal with it. The Bible says, you who are spiritual, like if you're so spiritual that you know they've got the issue, name the sin. If anyone's caught in any transgression, well, what's an example of a transgression? Well, we got it in, in Galatians 5. He gives examples of it. For example, he says, the works of the flesh are things like this. Sexual immorality. That means you're having sex with someone you're not married to. That's a sin. Sensuality. Impurity. That means you might not have gone all the way, but you're doing some stuff that's really sensual and impure. That's still a sin. That's why when someone's like, well, we didn't go all the way, but... I don't know, we, we just get each other really stirred up. That's what that is. That's what that is. You're like, well, we didn't do it on the outside, but we were doing it on the inside. And Jesus says, on the inside is what I'm looking at. He says things like idolatry. Jesus says, if you're greedy, that's idolatry. Enmity, that means you fight with people. Strife, you hold grudges. Jealousy, fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, that means People splitting up divisions, envy. Man, I hate that car he's driving. Oh, look at that house they've got. I bet they're not happy. They might have an awesome house and they're happier than you. How about that? <laughs> Drunkenness. It's not a sin to drink alcohol. It's a sin to get drunk. It's a sin to get high. Orgies. It's in the Bible. Things like these. I'm glad he stopped there. I guess the last one he mentions is that one. Things like these. Well, Michael, what do I, I, I want you to notice Paul actually names in specific senses things that if someone was going to be restored, the sin needs to be named. Let me, let me give you a hint in restoring people. Name the sin biblically, not just culturally, emotionally, or psychologically. I appreciate the cultural help and the psychological help and the, all the stuff. But I'm telling you, I don't know how you get someone to repent unless you use the Bible word for what repenting would look like, okay? So number three, you, you name this. Number four, this is where you, you, you lead, if you're doing restoration, lead the person, you lead them to repentance. Now again, this is, I'm trying to underline that, not strike through that. Diane Langberg, one of my favorite voices in this arena, she would say that one of the problems that we have is that there's a culture sometimes where people think that saying I'm sorry is enough, or if you're offended, I apologize. Repentance, however, is not making an apology. Repentance is where you are saying, I recognize what I've done. I acknowledge what has happened. I'm acknowledging the impact this has had on you. I'm not, I'm not just going to sit back and, and say nothing about this. I'm going to recognize I was wrong. I see the impact. 
for that, I want to make amends. I want to make this right. You cannot repent until you see the impact. Now, I grew up in a Christian culture where when my mom would take me to church, I would hear people pray. These, they basically would do like sinner's prayers on Sundays. Basically, you could live like you wanted all week long. You'd come to church on Sunday, and you'd say a sinner's prayer, and then you'd backslide through the week, and then you'd come back. It was sort of the Protestant version of what a lot of my Catholic friends did in high school. They would live however they wanted to live all week long. They'd say, I'm going to go take communion on Sunday. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer, or I'm going to go to confession, and then it's all going to be good. There's the same version of the same thing, which is not repenting. Repenting is when someone actually changes their mind, their heart, their direction, which is why I need you to know restoration. There's so many voices online right now that are afraid of the word restoration because they think we're going to allow abusive, sinful people to keep on doing. It is not repentance until two things have happened. Well, what needs to happen is, A, someone's going to confess. They're going to confess. When someone repents, there's a confession. This is like 1 John 1.9. When someone repents, this word confess, it means to agree. It's like homo, same, Logo. It's like homo logo. It's like this idea of you're saying the same thing. When you are actually repenting, when you confess your sins, you're agreeing with God about those. When you confess your sin to another person that's been very hurt by you, what you're doing is like, you know what? I see the impact. I agree. That's confession. It's not saying, hey, if my uh, wardrobe malfunction at a at a Super Bowl offended you, then I'm sorry. Like that's not that's not repentance. That's silliness, right? Repentance starts that where there's a there's a confession where you go and you revisit that wrong. And this is where, put that verse up there, 1 John 1, 9. It says, if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just. You can put that up there for me, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to God, I, I'll just say it to you. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just, there it is, to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess, there's really these two things that happen. There is a forgiveness that happens. There is forgiveness But there's also, and I'm going to use the word cleansing, there's also a cleansing that happens. When someone is restored, they are both forgiven and cleansed. Today I'm announcing to you, there are some of you that in the next 10 minutes of your life, you're about to be forgiven and cleansed in Jesus' name. Forgiven and cleansed. That's what happens when someone truly repents. And that's why you don't have to worry about like, oh my gosh, someone's just getting off. No, no, no. There is none of this evil trees get off on a, no, no. When God brings someone to repentance, the tree changes, so the fruit changes. If it's the same old fruit, they never repented. You know the tree by its fruit. This is why John the Baptist would say, go bear fruits worthy of repentance. And it's why some of you need to hear this very carefully. Let me just be a little bit like John the Baptist for a minute. There are too many Christians that have wallowed and stayed in their sins, not because they've backslidden, it's because they never frontslid. There are many Christians... There are many people that if they died right now, they'd say, man, I'm going to heaven, and they're going to show up on the judgment day, and they will be surprised that they are the one that Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Sin is not breaking the law of man. Sin is breaking the law of God. And then when this happens, this is really where I would say when someone does repent, I would say you need to clarify I I think you're clarifying for people this, this part right here. When you're restoring someone, you're in the spirit, gently naming the sin, leading them to repentance, 
And when they do, you are clarifying, like I'm about to say to some of you, sis, brother, you have repented. And if you have, you are forgiven and God is cleansing you. See, a lot of us, we've kind of repented enough to get forgiven, but never to get cleansed. And God wants us to be cleansed. And when that happens, then what takes place, and this is really like, I think, the final step, this is where you lead people to the place of joy. This is why David would say in Psalm 51, in the great prayer, and let's just get clear on the, the prayer of David here. David who has committed adultery. David who has committed murder. David who has destroyed one of his mighty men. David who has been very unfaithful. David who's been secret and hiding. David who's been living horribly for quite a number of months when Nathan the prophet comes and exposes him gently to himself with a parable going through the restoration process. David then takes out a pen and writes Psalm 51. By the way, one of my burdens of this message is that there's a lot of Psalm 51s that are never being written because we've got a culture of cancellation instead of a culture of restoration. And there's some of you that are ready to write your Psalm 51 if we could just get this right. And David sits out and he writes, says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O God. And then he says this. Renew a right spirit within me. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Church, you have not brought someone to restoration until you brought them to the place of joy. Which is why shame will never work because you can never shame someone to joy. You can't guilt trip someone into joy. And why it doesn't work when what you really want is vengeance because if you know at the end of the path of restoration is joy, you'll never want to restore people and you'll be stuck and addicted to the dopamine hits of the cancel culture that we live in to get more clicks, monetize your failure porn as opposed to becoming God's agent of restoration. And today I'm calling us to be restorers. So Mike, how do we even apply this sermon? Well, number one, there's some of you, you need to call somebody and say, bro, you get drunk all the time. It's not right. And I gotta approach you on it. You could say, well, whose business is that? Yours. Yours. Bro, you're, you're doing stuff with, with your girlfriend and you guys aren't married. Yeah, but in my mind we're married, man, in my mind. Well, when your body is in the same spot as your mind, then do it. But until then, bro, it's a sin. It's going to kill you, bro. No, no, watch. You can't gently restore someone while gossiping to someone else. Gossip becomes a startle on a ledge that makes things worse. You, you got to go to them. If someone's greedy, you got to go to them. When's the last time you restored a sinning brother or sister? When's the last time you went to someone and said, let me help you, and you've got my word, not another soul will ever hear about this? I'll tell you who I've seen do it in spades is a guy named Arnold Lastinger. He was my pastor. And I saw this man restore people. Uh, and, and pastor was kind of brash and he was pretty bold and he was strong and he was loud and all these things. But when he found a marriage with infidelity, when he found a sinner that was stuck in their sins, I would watch this lion of a man become a lion of a restoring agent of Jesus. And he would just reach down and get his fingernails dirty and he would restore sinners. 
Mike, how do you know? Because I watched him. Mike, how do you know? Because I was one of them. I am standing today because I have been the recipient of a few people that have helped restore my soul. So some of you might say, well, we'd like to know what it was, what, what, what your sin was. Wouldn't you like to know? Well, Mike, if we knew your sin, we might not want to listen to you. If I knew your sin, I might say, get the heck out of this church. <laughs> because the reality is there is so much darkness in every one of us that is so in need of the grace of Jesus that the message of our eternity and the song of our forever is not going to be amazing faithfulness, how great our lives that earned a place like this. It's going to be amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Pastor Lester went to the grave with people's stuff. And I dream of us, not, again, we're not, ta- we're not covering up abuse. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying there is a problem on the floor where there's sin and that's in the camp and there's fear and anxiety. If we could do this, church, we could change our world. If we could do this, do you know it, what, it, what would happen if we got a reputation for being the place that when you come, you get changed, that when you come, you get restored, that when you come, you get better, not just knocked down? Can you imagine? I I ended with this statement. Shame, the shame of man can restrain the heart, but the grace of Jesus will change the heart. Which is why when this woman is caught in the act of adultery in the book of John chapter eight and she's thrown before the feet of Jesus and there's men all around her with rocks in her hand and they say to Jesus, what do you say about this woman? Because the law says she is to die. She was caught in the very act. What do you say? But it's always humorous to watch the author of a book give the interpretation of his book. And instead of speaking, he kneels down into the dirt. And I don't know what he wrote in the ground. And apparently we don't need to know because the Bible does not tell us. But I know why he knelt down. Because she couldn't get up. And as much as you shame someone, get up. Do better. Try harder. That's the law. And I'm astonished, Galatians, that you've turned to a law so quickly when the gospel is not that you could get up with law, but that he came down in grace. And he wrote something, that finger that spun the universe into existence, wrote something in the ground. And I'm not sure what he wrote, But some people began to drop their stones. And he says to them, you without sin cast the first stone. And then he kneels down to write again because they weren't all gone yet. And as he's writing, one by one, every rock is dropped. And the woman who's been cowering in fear, traumatized at impending death, her brain chemistry going nuts as she's ready to be expired before A system that's obviously unjust because the law did say that if someone's caught in the act of adultery, they should be stoned to death. But it said the man and the woman together. And if she was caught in the act, that would have been, there were two of them. And yet there's only one of them laying before them here. In the midst of a system that's unjust in a world, it's patriarchal and things that are not right. 
There's so many things that could be said. Jesus kneels down with her and says, woman, where are your accusers? I don't even think she had looked yet because all she could think about were her accusers. Woman, where are your accusers? Are you kidding me? That's all I can even think about. All I can imagine is the mob. Sir, where are your accusers? I can imagine him touching her shoulder and saying, look, there are none. And she looks to the left and she looks to the right. She says, sir, they're all gone. I think it's because you never get restored when your eyes are on the mob. You only get restored when your eyes are on Jesus. When you look in the eyes of the one that is going to say to her, neither do I condemn you. Well, Jesus, what right do you have to not condemn her? She's stuck in the act. And his answer is, I've already arranged for her bill to be paid. Well, when do you think that bill is going to be paid? Because in a matter of chapters, he's going to be up on a cross where he will pay the price with a brutal death, a brutal condemnation, a brutal execution. Jesus can say to her, I don't condemn you because Jesus is going to take the cancellation and Jesus is going to take the shame and Jesus is going to take the rage and Jesus is going to take the punishment on himself so that you and me can be free. And I want to announce it to some of you, and some of you maybe even up till this point haven't had faith. Listen to these words in faith. You are forgiven by Jesus. You're set free by Jesus. Where are your accusers? You could say, oh, Mike, there's accusers on the left, there's accusers on the right. And Jesus is going to take care of accusers. You put yourself in his hands. You put yourself in his hands today. You run to Jesus today. Some of you need to be like little children, like my wife, when she first met Jesus. She'd be over the altar all the time, like a little child, like, Jesus, I want you. If you need Jesus, he wants you. If you're willing to come to Jesus, he'll take you. If you will turn to Jesus, he'll forgive you. If you'll run to Jesus, he'll redeem you. Run to Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. The mob can't save you. The crowd can't save you. The cancelers can't do anything for you. The shame can only restrain you. But grace, it'll change you. It'll change you. Yeah, but Mike, what if someone speaks evil of me? Oh, you've got a defender. Can we believe in a defender again? Those that rise up against you, please, man, they're going to come in one direction. He'll put them off in 20 directions. You can see, yeah, but I've got some things that were even my own fault. Isn't that the whole story? My story is not, oh, I was so innocent and God defended me in my innocence. My story is, I'm guilty. Jesus defended me in my guilt if I come humbly to him. And some of you need to come humbly to him today. In Jesus' name. Some of you need to let me be a restoration person for you. Let me just end this in the spirit, gently. There's some of you in your sin. Do not walk out the doors in sin this conviction you feel that I need to get away from that, it's not gonna go, it's not gonna go away. Uh, it's not gonna get better with time. If God's dealing with your heart, deal with your stuff right now. Repent. Turn to Jesus. If you've never been baptized, go get baptized. Confess your sin to God. Agree with God. I'm about to open up this front area, and if you will, he's gonna forgive you, and he's gonna cleanse you, and then you're gonna have a joy of your salvation. 